know, it's hard to believe we're starting another year in 2023. 2023. You know, I graduated from high school in 1960, and if somebody said, you'd still be around <laughs> in 63 years or something like that, uh, uh, time just disappears. But it looks like we're going to be in for another very interesting year. You know, last year was interesting. The year before that was interesting. Um, we heard in the announcement about the uh, storms in California. They're really severe. I talked to Roger Bardot. He's there just north of L.A. this past week, and also Dr. Fall. They've had a really difficult time out there. And then we had tornadoes this past week in uh, Arkansas. We've got um, chaos and challenges in the American Congress. This is going to be a very interesting year to watch. You know, one year, you know, we were in Jamaica for the feast, and I picked up a paper on the way to church one morning, and there was storms up in New England, and we lived up in Massachusetts. And I saw this big arrow right across where we lived, and I thought, wow. Uh, so I called our neighbor, and we had left our house keys with the neighbor before we left. And I said, what's happening up there? He said, you got trees down all around your house, but nothing hit the house. He said, uh, we've also got the stuff out of your freezer, <laughs> and it's in our freezer. But, you know, we were at the feast worshiping God. Uh, we need to just remember, I'm going to talk about this a little bit in the sermon, that God makes promises to certain groups of people for doing certain things. Um, So we need to keep that in mind. Uh, Also, the scripture in James 5.16, it talks about the prayers of a righteous person avails much. We heard some prayer requests uh, in the announcements of the people in California and Arkansas um, or Alabama need our prayers. And if we're all praying together, If we're all praying together, God will hear those prayers. And we can remind God of James 5.16, that we're praying for our brethren. uh, And we do look forward to God's intervention. But we've got some challenges ahead, it looks like, uh, this coming year. And I want to ask some questions as we begin the sermon today to help us focus on some things that we're going to need to be uh, up to speed on. We're going to need to be focused on some things in order to make it through the challenges that we're going to be facing not only this year but in the years ahead. I'd like to ask a couple of questions here at the beginning. What is one of the most important qualities that God wants us to develop in this life? What is one of the most important qualities that God wants us to develop in this life? Is it love? Well, that's important. Is it humility? That's important. Is it faith? That's important. Is it patience? That's important. Is it endurance? That's important. But what is the most important quality? Does the Bible give us any clue at all? Another question, what is the most, what quality must we develop to be in the kingdom of God? We could list a number of other qualities. But if you'll turn quickly to Mark, excuse me, Matthew 6.33, now you should know what's there. But it gives us a hint of what we need to be developing. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, it says, Seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So if we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what's righteousness? What is righteousness? We want to talk about that in the sermon today. There are a couple of other scriptures that we'll turn to in just a little bit, but in Ephesians 6, verse 14, Paul talks about putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, what is that? What's it made out of? Why do we have to put it on? Another interesting scripture, 1 John 3.10, and we'll turn to that a little bit later too. It says there we've got to be practicing righteousness. And if we don't practice righteousness, we're children of the devil, which is pretty sobering. 
But what is righteousness? Why do we have to put on a breastplate of righteousness? Why do we need to practice righteousness? What is righteousness? I want to talk about that in the sermon today. I've entitled it, The Importance of Righteousness. The Importance of Righteousness. And I'm going to cover five points. And I would encourage you, write down the five points and then jot some of the scriptures down. We're not going to have time to turn to all of them. If you jot the scriptures down under each point and then look them up on your own, you're going to have a very interesting Bible study. You're going to have a very interesting Bible study. So in the sermon today, I want to take you on a voyage of discovery. Get on the boat. Take a voyage of discovery to discover the riches of righteousness. To discover the riches of righteousness that are buried in the Word of God. (laughs) And when you dig them out, it really is eye-opening. I was reading through Psalm 1 uh, several weeks ago. And uh, it talks about righteousness there. And I thought this would be an interesting Bible study. So I started working on the Bible study and then wound up with a sermon. It's amazing what is there. It's amazing what is there. So I'm going to take you on a voyage of discovery. So you can discover the riches of righteousness buried in the Word of God so that you can experience and enjoy the treasures of righteousness. If you find something buried in your backyard, it happens to be a pot of gold. You're going to be excited that you didn't know what was there. And I think righteousness is pretty much the same thing. Because the benefits of righteousness, we can experience them now, but we're going to need them. We're going to need them in the coming kingdom of God. And we don't know how much longer we have to work on these things. It could be a lot shorter than we think. We just don't know. So let's attack the first point here. How important is righteousness? How important is righteousness? You know, growing up, I went to church with my parents, and I heard this word righteousness, but it didn't make a lot of sense to me. It was kind of like, well, that's probably somebody that goes to church every Sunday or every Saturday, or it's it's, it's somebody that's a goody two-shoes. Well, they're righteous because they don't do this, they don't do that, but they do this or they do that. But it was kind of a vague and nebulous thing. How important is righteousness? We're here in Matthew 6 and verse 33. If you read the verses that precede this, Jesus is talking about priorities. And he says some people worry about what they're going to eat today or tomorrow or what they're going to wear tomorrow. He said if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you don't have to worry about these other things. It doesn't mean you you don't need to plan and prepare. Uh, You know, my clothes are wearing out. I'm just not going to worry about it because I'm righteous. And they'll be provided. No, we need to plan. We need to plan. But Jesus said, set your priorities on being in the kingdom of God and set your priorities on developing righteousness because you're going to need that in the coming kingdom of God. So we've got to be focusing on these priorities every day as you make decisions about what you're going to do in life, what you're going to do today. Is this going to prepare me for the kingdom? Is it going to move me in that direction, or is it going to be moving? Is it going to move me away from that direction? Um, <clears throat> focusing on righteousness, and we'll talk about what that is. Why does the Bible say we've got to seek righteousness? That's what's in the verse. It says, "Seek righteousness." Why do we have to seek it? As we define it a little bit more, uh, the world doesn't really understand what seeking means. But in Psalm 119, verse 137, maybe just jot that one down. We need to seek righteousness because God is righteous. God is righteous. And it says there, his testimonies, his laws, his judgment are also righteous. Now, why is that important? Turn to 1 John 3. 1 John chapter 3. And the first couple of verses there. 
God wants us to become like him, as we read in the verses here in 1 John 3. Beginning verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, but it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. God wants us to strive to become righteous so that we can become like God, to think like God does, to act as he would. Verse 3, everyone that has this hope of wanting to become like God purifies himself just as God is pure. So God wants us to become righteous because he is righteous. He wants us to become like him. You know, you've got the scripture in Philippians 2.5 where it says, let this mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. We need to be thinking like God, thinking like Jesus Christ. How would they do something? And God wants us to get down that same path. 1 John 3 and verse 10, just down the page. This is what we I referred to in the very beginning. 1 John 3 and verse 10. When you read it and think about it, it's kind of sobering. It says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. In other words, here's the difference between children of God and children of the devil. Uh, It says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now, he's not talking about some ethereal thing. Uh, It's talking about something very specific. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So love is important, but also righteousness is important. If we're striving to be righteous and following the path of righteousness, we're on a path to become children of God. To become God's, part of his family. But if we're on a different path, an unrighteous path, we're, we're the children of the devil. That's just the way we're, we're, God looks at it. So this is not some little thing. It's extremely important. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. Paul is writing here to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a big carnal city at that time in ancient Greece. In Ephesians 6, verse 14, I'll get there eventually. As you get older, it's harder to turn the pages. Paul is talking about uh, being in a spirit war, a war with a spirit being, with Satan and his demons. In verse 11, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the wiles or the devices of the devil. So we've got to put armor on. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against rulers of darkness of this age. Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done so, and to stand. It talks about girding your waist with the truth, but in verse 14, stand therefore, having your waist girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, So what is it? What is that breastplate made out of? Why do we have to put it on? What Paul is saying here is that if we don't put this essential piece of armor on, we're going to be vulnerable. We're going to be vulnerable. But what is it that we're putting on? Not some ethereal thing. (laughs) I'm just going to pull this thing out of the air and I've got my breastplate on. No, he's talking about something very specific. Something very specific. If we don't put it on, we're going to be vulnerable. We're going to be vulnerable. You know, we have to make decisions every day. And how you make those decisions depend on the value system you've got in your brain, in your mind. If you don't know that something's wrong, then you may try it. If you know and it's deeply embedded in your mind that that is wrong, then you don't do it. You know, I was a kid growing up. My mom read me Proverbs, I think it was 110 or 17, something like that. 
where it says, when evil entices you, say no. And part of the job of parents is to explain to children what is evil, what is wrong. And then as you get a little bit older, why is it wrong? Because everybody's doing it. (laughs) Why is it wrong? We've got to explain very carefully what is wrong and why it's wrong, what the consequences will be. This seems all exciting right now. But when we make decisions, we need to have a value system in our minds to know that that's wrong. That's not something that we should do. But kids today and adults today are getting mixed messages. Well, it's not so bad. (laughs) Everybody does it. Uh, Fit in and you will have a lot more friends. Now, we've got to be very careful. If we don't have a value system, and this is what righteousness is all about, uh, we're going to be very vulnerable. Now, we're talking about a personal piece of armor that we put on, righteousness. But righteousness also affects nations. It affects nations. Turn to Proverbs 14 and verse 34. This puts it in a totally different category. Proverbs 14 and verse 34. It says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. And what we're going to see is when we define righteousness, it's about talking about the laws of God. When a nation follows the laws of God, they're going to be blessed. They're going to be exalted. But sin, how do you define sin? First John 3, 4. First John 3, 4. Sin is what? The transgression of the laws of God. When we break the laws of God, we sin. You know, growing up, I heard stuff about, well, sin is drinking and dancing and playing cards and, <laughs> and swearing and stuff like that. But sin is the transgression of the laws of God, all ten of them, and then the statutes and judgments. When nations follow the laws of God, they're going to be blessed. Things are going to go better for them. When nations turn away from those laws, things are going to go wrong. And serious consequences will happen. So righteousness is important for individuals. Righteousness is also important for nations. And when we turn away, as we're seeing in our nations today, there's going to be serious consequences. How important is righteousness? When you look up the word righteous or righteousness in the Bible, it's listed there, used there about four to five hundred times. Four to five hundred times. God repeats what is important. It's not just some little thing that we've got to brush off. Well, I'm not interested in righteousness. I'm interested in other things. No, righteousness is extremely important to God. And as we will see, it's extremely important to each one of us. So how important is righteousness? It's extremely important. Mentioned in the Bible four to five hundred times. Uh, that's pretty important. Okay, let's ask another question. This is question number two. What is righteousness? Is it just being in church every Sabbath? Is it just being nice to people? Uh, it's more than that. What is it we're supposed to seek if we seek righteousness? What are we looking for? What is God looking for in us? You know, for many, righteousness is kind of a vague, spiritual-sounding term. A person is righteous if they have wings and a halo. (laughs) Then we know they're righteous. You know, I'm joking, but this is how many people look at it. You know, you're goody-two-shoes, you're righteous. In many cases, it's self-righteousness. If you look up a dictionary definition of righteousness, it talks about morality. You're a moral person. Uh, You're a virtuous person. But what do moral people do? What don't they do? Well, that depends on their personal opinion. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't do that. But somebody else who thinks they're righteous, well, I don't have any problem with that. This is vague, ethereal type of things. Um, What makes you righteous? 
What do you do that makes you righteous? What do you do that, that allows God to see that you're righteous? You know, we've, we've got to have some solid definitions. That's why we're talking about this. The opposite of righteousness, and this comes from the dictionary, is unrighteousness. Well, what's, what's unrighteousness? It sounds pretty bad. <laughs> but what is it? What is it? Uh, unrighteousness, sinfulness. Well, again, what's sin? Different people have different definitions. Um, uh, unrighteousness or yeah, unrighteousness would be an immoral person. Well, I wouldn't do that. But somebody else said, well, I don't have a problem with that. Um, it's interesting when you look at religious literature, literature written by people that believe that they're Christians. Uh, they'll talk about righteousness as being right with God. Okay, what is that? <laughs> well, I go to church. I pray. Uh, I, I'm nice. Uh, is that being right with God? Uh, a God-centered person. Now, these are not wrong, but what does that mean to be a God-centered person? Uh, A couple of other definitions. A person without sin or a person that prays and goes to church. Another interesting definition that I came across was uh, righteousness is a gift from God if you believe in God. Righteousness is a gift from God if you believe in God. Now, where they're coming from, uh, they'll take the scripture that is, let's go back there, Genesis 15 and verse 6. It's talking about Abraham. And this is repeated, I think, three or four times in the New Testament, this phrase. So Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And this is mentioned in Romans, it's mentioned in uh, uh, Galatians, and it's also mentioned in James. So just believing in God makes you righteous. That's what... It looks like this says, but Abraham also obeyed God. He obeyed God. He believed in God's promises. It wasn't just a matter, well, I believe, now suddenly I'm righteous. He was doing some other things that we will see. In fact, this idea that all you have to do is believe and you become righteous doesn't square with other scriptures we're going to look at. Because if all you have to do is believe and you're righteous, why do we have to seek righteousness? Why do we have to pursue righteousness? What is it we're doing? What is it we have to do? Let's look then at the biblical definition of righteousness. The biblical definition of righteousness. Turn to Psalm 119 and verse 172. This is not vague. It's very clear. Psalm 119, verse 172. It says, My son, my tongue shall speak of your word for your, all your commandments are righteousness. All your commandments are righteousness. So if we put on a breastplate of, of righteousness, we're going to be putting on the commandments of God. I follow the commandments of God. That is my protection. That is my protection. Somebody comes up, tempts you with something. No, I'm not going to do it. Because I'm following the laws of God. I'm putting on that protection. Uh, So if we keep this very simple definition in mind, all your commandments are righteousness. That's our protection. That's what we need to put on when we put on that breastplate. Keep in mind also the definition of sin. First John 3, 4, sin is the transgression of the laws of God or the violation of the commandments of God. That's what sin is. When we break the laws of God, we ignore the instructions of God, we become sinners. I don't want to use the sermon as instruction how to become sinners. <laughs> we want to focus on how to become righteous. Uh, and follow God's laws. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23. It's saying pretty much the same thing. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 23, 24, and 25. It's saying the same thing that David said uh, a little bit later. Verse 23. It's talking about God bringing us out of the wilderness or out of Egypt through the wilderness. 
In verse 24, it says, And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to to fear the Lord our God for our good, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is to this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we carefully observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he's commanded us. So again, the connection here, righteousness has to do with keeping the laws of God. It's not some feeling that we get. (laughs) It's what we have to do. Again, in Protestant theology, well, Jesus did it all for you. He obeyed all the laws, so you don't have to do it. Uh, this, This is totally wrong, and it points people in a wrong direction. Paul makes some interesting statements in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, if we begin uh, verses 12 to 16, Paul is talking about doing some very specific things here. It's not vague. It's not unclear. Romans chapter 6, beginning verse 12, says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And again, sin is breaking the laws of God. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it and its lusts, and do not present um, your members, that is, your body, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Now, if you're unrighteous, again, you're breaking the laws of God. But present yourselves to God, being alive from the dead, and your members, that is, your body, as instruments of righteousness to God. Sin should not have dominion over you. In other words, sin should not control your decisions and so on. For you are not under the law, but under grace. He's not, he's talking there about you're not under the penalties of the law. Um, because of the grace of God, he's forgiven you if we repent. What then shall we, shall we, is it okay then to sin because you're not under the law, but under grace? He said, no. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, whoever, whoever you obey, you're a slave to, Do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether it is sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. In other words, if we're obeying the laws of God, we're on the path towards righteousness. We're going to become righteous. Righteous is not something you get by merely believing in God. It's what you do. It's what you do. So if we obey the laws of God, we are in the path to righteousness or the way of righteousness. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, 21. 1 Peter 2. And just let the Bible define some of these things. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. He's talking about people that have sinned and turned away. And he said, for it would be better, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. Because there is a way of righteousness. Look this up a number of different ways in the, in the scriptures. It talks about a path to salvation, a path to righteousness, a way of righteousness. It's learning to live by God's laws. It's learning to live by God's laws, being blessed for that. It's a way of life. So when we define righteousness, it has to do with following the commandments of God, making those the guides for your life. So when you read Psalm 119, verse 172, all thy commandments are righteousness, every time you see that word righteousness, begin thinking, these are the commandments of God. It's simple. It's simple. Striving to keep the commandments of God is going to put you on a path. It leads to eternal life. If we start plugging some other things in there, well, I just have to go to church and I just have to be nice. (laughs) We're not going to wind up where we hope to be. So we've defined what righteousness is. Let's ask another question. What are the benefits of righteousness? What are the benefits of righteousness? Why would we want to be righteous? You know, the pressures today in society is the people that break the laws have the most exciting life. (laughs) 
And they're the most influential kids in school because they do this and they do that and everybody looks up to them. Uh, that's the way it was when I was in school. I don't know, I don't know that it's that different today. Uh, but why would we want to be righteous? Why would we miss out on life? <laughs> Striving to be righteous. And this is what some, you know, some people leave the church while it's more exciting out there. I'm going to have some fun. I'm not allowed to do this or that if I stay at home. But if I go outside, it's going to be really cool. This is a lie. This is a lie. Why would you give up all the fun (laughs) to be righteous? I'm playing with your mind here a little bit. Uh, Why would we do that? Let me just give you a couple of scriptures. You can look these up a little bit later. Psalm 11, verse 7. Psalm 11, verse 7. It says, The Lord is righteous, and he loves righteousness, or he loves righteous deeds. He likes to see people doing things the right way. You know, when you've got little kids playing in the house, when do you correct them? When they're doing things you don't want to see. <laughs> They're breaking things, they're saying things, they're fighting, whatever. Don't do that. But if they're doing what you want them to do, you smile and say, wow, that's good. Now you're being really good. God loves righteousness and he loves righteous deeds. He likes to see people doing things right. I remember one time when Scott, our oldest son, he was about two, maybe, something like that. And we were in our house and in the apartment and I said, Scott, here's, a, here's, a, here's some trash. Put it in the trash can. And he was just walking a little bit. So he goes waddling out to the kitchen, and we heard the door under the sink open, and we heard something go in the trash can. And he came walking back in with this big smile. And he said, good, Scott, good. And he was so happy, he walked right into a wall. <laughs> he'd been praised, and he was happy, and uh, he forgot about there was a wall there. <laughs> But God loves to see us doing righteous things. When we say things nice to people, when we keep the Sabbath, when it's difficult, he sees the decision that we're making and doing things right. And again, we've talked about this before. First John 3, verses 1 to 4. God wants us to be like him. He likes righteous deeds. He is righteous. He wants us to become like him. In Psalm 1, this is what I was reading several weeks ago. Turn back there. David understood the benefits of righteousness. David understood and he wrote about it in the Psalms. And this is a good pick-me-up psalm to read almost any time because he's outlining two different ways of life. Adam and Eve never got this perspective, apparently. David did. But let's just read down through it very quickly. It said, Blessed is the man who walks in the, in, not in the counsel of the ungodly. The word in the Hebrew here, blessed, means to be envied. To be envied. Things go better. Things go better when a person does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or the sinners who don't care about God's law, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You know, when you start keeping the Sabbath, keeping the holy days, people may laugh at you. But the laugh is going to be on them sooner or later. But his delight, that is the person that's being talked about, blessed is the man. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. The person delights in the laws of God. They're not a burden. They're not keeping me for a lot of fun. They delight in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. You're thinking about God's law. How does this apply to the decision I have to make? And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This is... Part of the benefits of doing things God's way, you're going to be blessed. Things are going to go better for you. You know, when you you plant things by a water source, driving through the west out there, especially Colorado, Wyoming, uh, the um, what are those trees with all the yellow leaves and uh, aspens? 
when you're driving through the mountains, when the aspens turn, they have this bright yellow color. And you look up at the mountainside, and when you see this yellow bunch of trees, you know there's a stream there. You know there's a stream there because the aspens like water. (laughs) They grow there. And what David is talking about, you do things God's way, you're going to be like a tree by the waters, and you're going to grow and blossom. But then David contrasts this. He says here, whatever they do, they will prosper. But he contrasts this with the unrighteous, the ungodly, the unrighteous. People don't like the laws of God. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff with the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. They're going to become ashes under the feet of the righteous in the judgment. Nor sinners in a congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows. He watches. And Mr. Ames has a little notebook. And he writes down lessons that he's learned. God is writing down names. We'll talk about this a little bit. In a book. And he's going to reward those people that he sees doing things consistently God's way. The Lord knows the way, or he watches the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So David understood the benefits that come from righteousness. Turn to Psalm 34, and there's several verses here in Psalm 34 that talk about the blessings, the benefits. I remember whenever our boys were growing up, Several times at the feast, uh, I would sit them down and say, look, you guys are missing school. I think we probably should go home. It was kind of like, Dad, what are you talking about? This is fun. I said, no, you're missing school. We we better get you back home. Because I wanted them to appreciate what they were doing and the benefits that came from keeping the feast. I think I may have mentioned this one other time. I had a little quiz with the boys before we uh, went. We were planning about going to the feast. And I said, let's do an experiment this year. Let's not go to the feast. Let, let's keep Christmas instead. And I said, no. And one of the boys said, Dad, you keep Christmas. <laughs> he said, the feast is eight days. Uh, Christmas is one day. You lose, Dad. <laughs> But I wanted them to appreciate the blessings that come from doing things God's way. Psalm 34, uh, beginning verse 15 through 21, says, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. We just read that in another verse. And his ears are open to their cry, to their prayers. God is watching the righteous and he hears our prayers. Now, he may not answer them exactly when we want it answered or the way we want it. But he said, look, I hear you. I'm concerned about you. We'll work this out. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil and to cut remembrance of them off from the earth. Verse 17, the righteous cry out and God hears. If we're doing things God's way, he's going to hear and he delivers them out of their troubles. He delivers them out of their troubles. You jot in there, Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, it says, all things work to the good for those who are called according to the purpose of God and who do what God wants them to do. Uh, Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. We're going to have trials and tribulations. He guards all his bones, that is, guarding the bones of uh, righteous people. Not one of them is broken. I've had some broken bones, some of you have, but... uh, we get through those things. In some cases, we did some stupid things before we, <laughs> we broke something. Uh, <clears throat> Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate righteousness shall be condemned. But God says here he's, he's open to the cry of the righteous. He's watching them. He's mindful of them. He's watching over them. 
You could also put in the scripture in here Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 8. Hebrews 12, 5 to 8, which says God loves those he chastens. He loves those that he chastens. He will allow some things to happen to us, in some cases to help us learn lessons, in other cases to prepare us for even bigger responsibilities down the road. Because some things may happen to us and we wonder, God, why did you let that happen? He's preparing us for jobs in the coming kingdom of God. Unless we've been through some trials, we're not going to be able to sit down with somebody and say, I don't know what you're talking about. No, if you've been through trials and you see God intervening, you'll be able to say, look, I've had some issues too. I've had some problems, but God got me through. He was preparing me for something else that we don't perceive right now. See, God is preparing leaders for the coming kingdom of God. And we've got to go through some issues, some difficult times and so on, so that we can learn to handle them and realize that God does hear. He does intervene. And he will get us through. Psalm 58, while we're here in Psalms. <clears throat> now these, are, these are some of the benefits. And our kids need to understand these things. <laughs> we need to remember these things. Psalm 58, <clears throat> verse 11. I'm going to start here a little bit earlier, probably. Verse 10. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance that is of God. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that men will say, Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges the earth. But let's just pull that one part of that out. There's a a reward for the righteous. Now, what is that reward? You can look up other scriptures. That reward is a crown. In fact, let's turn there. Keep your fingers here in in Psalms. We go to... um, Second Timothy, Second Timothy 4.8, where Paul is kind of winding up his life. He said, look, I've fought the good uh, fight and I've run the race. But in uh, <clears throat> Second Timothy 4, he's trying to encourage Timothy. And Paul had some difficulties to face and had to get through. Um <clears throat> Verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Hopefully we'll all be able to say that. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but all those who have loved his appearing, or looks forward to his appearing, and who have strived to be righteous. He said, there's a reward coming. It's going to be a crown. You know, John mentions in Revelation, don't let anybody take your crown. Hang on. Endure to the end. So righteousness is extremely important. Proverbs 10. Proverbs chapter 10. Psalm 34, Proverbs 10, a number of scriptures having to do with righteousness. Let's break in in verse 24 and 25 in Proverbs 10. It says, The fear of the wicked will come upon them, and the desire of the righteous will be granted. The desire of the righteous will be granted. What are your desires? Are they in harmony with God's plan and purpose? I remember taking a class uh, when I went back to school working on a Master of Public Health degree. We had young people in the class. These were basically people in their 20s or 30s. But we had a girl from Pakistan. We had some kids from Africa. We had some different people from all over the world. And I thought, you know, I'd really like to go to some of these places. I'd really like to go to some of these places. And I've been around the world about four or five times. (laughs) These were not larks. These were not vacations. But... I've been to places that I thought about going to, like it would be exciting to go to. But God knows what our desires are. And if we can get our desires in harmony with his goals, 
Fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> Fasten your seatbelt. But as young people, think big. Think big. What could you do to maybe be involved with the work? What skills could you develop that God could use? Let him work with you. The desires of the righteous, it says, God will, will notice those things. The desire of the righteous will be granted. Think about that. What could you do to glorify God? What could you do to develop your talents and abilities that God could use? The desires will be granted. 27 through verse 32. The fear of the Lord prolongs your days. If you fear God, you're going to take care of the body that God has given you. If you don't fear God, (laughs) he'll abuse it. Uh, As somebody told me, you know, as you get older, you don't bounce as high whenever you fall down. (laughs) In fact, you may not bounce at all. But we've got to take care of what God has given us. As a young person, you can push yourself. You can push yourself to the nth degree. But you keep doing that time after time after time. Uh, things are going to wear out sooner. You know, if you're carrying a lot of weight, that's a lot of pressure on your joints. They're, not, they're going to wear out sooner too. But if we fear God, we're going to take care of what God has given us. So verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. You're not going to be drinking. You're not going to be smoking. You're not going to be taking drugs. You're not going to be getting involved sexually. If you fear God, your life is going to be prolonged because you're going to be doing things God's way. But the years of the wicked will be shortened. You know, these people, they get involved with gay lifestyles and same-sex relationships. Their lifespan is about 20 years shorter than people who don't do those things. See, this stuff is not just spiritual things. These are very profound statements. The hope of the righteous will be gladness. You're hoping to do things God's way. You're asking for God's guidance. And it's going to bring gladness, not sadness. Not sadness. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright. You do things God's way, you're going to be strong. You're going to, have, you're going to be willing to plant your feet. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going in that direction. But it doesn't have to be in a self-righteous way. I don't do things like that. <laughs> no, it's just I've got other things to do. I've got other things to do. The way of the Lord is strength of the upright, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity, to sinners. The righteous shall never be removed. Verse 30, it's not going to blow you away, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. I think some of the the bad jokes I first heard was at a church camp years ago. Not our church camp, but another camp. But that's where I heard them first. Um, and the person that was telling him, wow, he's pretty cool because he knows a lot of dirty jokes. You know, our, our value system is going wacky. But notice in verse 32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. They've got discernment. This is not something I should say now or ever some people just blurt things out, and well, that's who I am. Well, that's who we shouldn't be. But the lips of the righteous know what's acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked is perverse. Now, these are some of the benefits of doing things God's way, learning to do things God's way. Proverbs 3 and verse 32, it says, His secret is with the upright. His secret is with the upright. You know, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The world doesn't understand what the purpose of human life is. The world doesn't understand there is a way to peace. And it doesn't come through disarmament and a bunch of stuff like that. It comes a very different way. Uh, why are we on this earth? Mr. Armstrong talked about that a lot. 
The world doesn't know. The world doesn't know why we're here. They don't know a way that works. But we're told in Proverbs 3.32, God's secret is with the righteous. Those people that God has called, that he's working with, that want to begin doing things his way. Let's look at one other scripture. And this is powerful. Uh, One of the last chapters in the Old Testament in Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Verses 14 through 18. Talking about critics. It says, you have said it's useless to serve God. You're stupid if you follow the Bible. And what profit is is it that we have kept his his ordinance? In other words, you, you think you're going to be blessed for keeping those laws? You know, think again. These are the critics. So now we call the proud blessed and the wicked. Those who do wickedness are raised up. We promote you know, wrong things today. But notice in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him, before God, for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Your name is being written in a book if you fear God and if you meditate on his word day and night. Verse 17, they, these people whose name is written in a book, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make up my jewels. You are a diamond being fashioned by God. This is what God is doing with us, giving us opportunities. In the day that I make up my jewels, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between righteousness and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. We've been called to become righteous, to become jewels in God's plan and purpose. That's the reward. That's the benefit of becoming righteous. So there are incredible benefits of setting out to become a righteous person and staying with that and not giving up. Okay, how do you become righteous? Number four, how do you become righteous? What do we have to do to gain righteousness? It involves more than just believing. Now, we've got to believe that God is. We need to prove that to ourselves. But to become righteous involves more than just believing and and waiting to be labeled as righteous. We're told in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It says seek it. Now, if you just believe, you already have it. But no, we've got to seek it. We've got to pursue it. Now, what does that mean? Let's tie that in with another uh, scripture in Matthew 5.6. Matthew 5, 6, where Jesus said, Blessed is the person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. The word, again, in the Greek, blessed means to be envied. To be envied is the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. If you're hungry, (laughs) get out of my way. (laughs) Where's the food? (laughs) Yeah, one year at the feast, my wife and I were the hosts of a senior dinner, or the senior banquet. And we were standing at the door waiting to greet everybody. It was kind of like, get out of my way. There's food in there. We went in. <laughs> if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're going to be focused on something. You're going to be, you're focused on food, not just some ethereal, oh, eat and be filled. No, you can't eat words. You've got to have food. But what does this entail? What does it look like to hunger and thirst and to seek first? Go back to Proverbs chapter 2 for an analogy. Solomon is talking about wisdom. I remember when I first came into the church, I read this, you know, pray for wisdom, ask for wisdom. So I would pray for it and I would wake up the next morning. I didn't feel any wiser. (laughs) I didn't realize there were things I needed to do besides just pray. But notice the analogy here. You can read through the whole chapter on your own. But it says, my son, it could be my daughter. 
Receive my words. Listen to my words. Listen to what I've written for you. And treasure my commands. Not just take it lightly, but treasure it. What's there? Why did you say that? Why did you write that? So that you incline your ear to wisdom. You're listening for phrases. You're listening for advice. I sat in on the spokesman's club that we had online Sunday for the uh, spokesman down in Atlanta. And one of the topics questions was asked by the topics master was, I'd like to hear in your speech, and they were all giving icebreakers, I'd like you to mention one piece of advice that you were given that changed your life. Which I think was a very interesting question to ask. Uh, I'm not sure that they all came up with an answer. But you might want to make a list of some of the advice that you've been given that have changed your life. What piece of advice have you been given? What piece of advice would you give to somebody else that could change their life, change the direction of their life? But that's what it's talking about here. If you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, I want to understand. Uh, I read a book by Queen Noor, the lady that uh, married King Hussein. And I think it was entitled The Unexpected Life. She never expected to become a queen. But as she went through college, the other girls recognized there was something different about her. That she wasn't into parties, she wasn't into running around. She'd ask her grandmother one time, Grandmother, what do I have to do to live a worthwhile life? How many of you at age 16 or 17 were asking questions like that? As opposed to, where's the party? Not just girls, but guys. What do I have to do to live a really worthwhile life? So when you get as old as I am, or Mr. Weston, (laughs) think about some of these. Where do you want to be in 60 years if we have that long to go? What would you like to do between now and then? What will it take to get there? You need to think about some of these things. Apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment. And we just read a scripture talking about a, a righteous person knows what's acceptable. They knows what's appropriate. They're able to discern. If you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek Wisdom, we could say, if you seek righteousness as silver and search for her as, as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And here comes the answer, verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom out of his mouth. If we live and strive to live by every word of God, that's the words of wisdom coming out of God's mouth and can get into our mind if we're looking for it. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, for the righteous. And he is a shield to those who walk uprightly. God will protect. God will deliver the righteous. These are all the rewards. These are all the benefits. Uh, But we have to seek these things. We have to seek these things. You can go to Psalm 119. Maybe read through the, the whole psalm. But David says there in verses 94 to 110, Psalm 19, 119, uh, 94 to 110, he says, Oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all day long. I think about it. I incorporate it uh, in my life. He talks about it's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You ever try to get to the bathroom at night and all the lights are off and you... And you can't find it. You stub your toe. You walk into walls. <laughs> Things happen. But if you have a flashlight, oh, there it is. David said, it's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's the laws of God. That's the laws of God. number of other scriptures. Um, <clears throat> but keep in mind, when, when David is talking about is focused on the law of God. He's talking about the commandments of God. And the commandments of God are righteousness. They point us in that direction. So righteousness is not acquired by just passively believing. Well, I believe in God. Now everything's going to be fine. 
No, we've got to do what God says. We've got to follow his commandments. Becoming righteous is an active path. It's an active activity. It's not a passive type of thing. We've had a number of sermons given on righteousness. Dr. Meredith gave several on righteous government, righteous uh, judgment. Um, you can go on the website and just put in righteousness, and you'll find these things. Uh, <clears throat> Mr. Ames gave one uh, talking about uh, seek God's righteousness. Uh, Mr. Nathan gave one on hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, I think Mr. Strain gave one on principles of righteous character. And there's probably others. But these are things that we need to talk about and think about and do our own studies on. As I mentioned, you do your own Bible study on righteousness and righteousness. It's very eye-opening. Okay, let's conclude talking about what's the purpose of righteousness. What's the purpose? Why, why should we become righteous besides being like God? Uh, how are we going to use righteousness? Why do we need it? How are we going to use it? What will we not be able to do if we don't have it? In Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7, you can look at that up later, where it says Christ is going to return and set up a world government. But he's going to come back as the Prince of Peace. Christ is coming back as the Prince of Peace. If you look up Isaiah 32, verse 17, Isaiah 32, verse 17, it says the work of righteousness is peace and quiet. The work of righteousness is peace and quiet. Again, plug in your definitions. Righteousness is the commandments of God. When the world learns to follow the commandments of God, it's going to be a very peaceful world. It's not just some ethereal thing. We're going to be pointing people in a very definite direction. Uh, Isaiah 2, verses 2 to 4 says, The law is going to go forth from Jerusalem. The laws, the laws of God are going to be proclaimed from Jerusalem. That's what we're going to be teaching people all around the world. In Isaiah 30, verses 20 and 21, Isaiah 30, verses 20 and 21 says, You'll see your teachers, and they will say, This is the way. This is the way to go. This is the way to handle this or that. But we'll be teaching the laws of God everywhere. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 11, verses, verse 9. Isaiah 11, verse 9, it says, The earth will be full of the knowledge of God, a knowledge of God's way, of his laws. Isaiah 26, verse 9. Isaiah 26, verse 9, it says, The inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. The inhabitants of the world, this is China, this is Africa, this is Russia, this is South America, this is the United States. (laughs) The inhabitants of the world are going to learn righteousness, the laws of God. Isaiah 62, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 62, verses 1 and 2. It says, The Gentiles will see your righteousness. Talking to God. The Gentiles are going to see your righteousness. The whole world is going to see the righteousness of God. And this is going to spread from Jerusalem. And you and I are going to have an opportunity to be part of that. This is why we're preparing. Let's turn one other scripture as we close. Daniel chapter 12. See, righteousness is a theme that literally runs through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. But in Daniel, the 12th chapter, it's talking about things at the end of the age. And this should be exciting. Daniel chapter 12, 1 and 2. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never once since the beginning, since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. We talked about that earlier. Your name is written in the book, writing the name of the righteous in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust shall awake, 
some to everlasting life, and some and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Verse 3, those who are wise, these are the people that followed God's way of life, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. If we strive to become righteous, learn to do things God's way, this is your future, to shine as stars in heaven forever and to turn many to righteousness. What an incredible calling. What an incredible calling. If we conclude then, righteousness is not some vague, nebulous, fuzzy spiritual concept. And it's not something you just put on the back burner and kind of let it percolate there. Righteousness is mentioned four to five hundred times in the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, which means it's extremely important to God and it's extremely important to us to get that concept correctly in mind. Righteousness is clearly defined in the Bible. All my commands are righteousness. And that is a key to understanding. When we read the word righteousness, it's talking about obeying God. A breastplate of righteousness means you're obeying the laws of God and you're looking for God to protect you. You're looking for God to intervene for you. Um, If we don't practice righteousness, which means you're putting God's laws into practice every day, We're not really children of God. We're children of somebody else who does not like the laws of God. So, brethren, there are incredible benefits for righteous leaders. Individuals are going to become the kings and priests in the coming kingdom of God that are going to teach the world the way to peace and to teach the world a better way of living. This is the importance of righteousness.